Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. The cold does bother me. Anyway, you're watching AM Tadia. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. I see what you did there. Cute. What would you what would you call that? A grammar pun, a syntactical pun? Ooh, a syntactical pun. Elsa gets her MFA. The cold <laughs> does bother me. Anyway, I love it. Well, here's a tweet from you, my man. Mm. Take me back to 2018. Forget everything I said before. This new year is cold and mean and keeps telling me to learn how to code, and I hate to inform all of you that 2019 is already canceled. I'm <laughs> over it, I've had it, I'm tired. 31 days in this month, this year. It's the last day of January. Could It couldn't even make it to February. Last night I tweeted that tomorrow is not Friday. That's why I tweeted last night, mm -hmm. tomorrow is now Friday, um, and got cursed out. Someone said, sir, we don't need that kind of negativity on the timeline. Mm. Like, I think, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I think Father Time has already come for our wigs. See, I here's, I, I'm, I'm with those folks, though. I'm news. holding on to that optimism. You are? I'm holding on oh, to a brighter child. day tomorrow. Mm. I understand it's very cold, not just here in New York, but across the country. Mm -hmm. The stories out of Chicago have just yeah. been shocking. And, you know, the news is also shocking and trash and horrible and mean. Absolutely. Uh. But, you know, I got to believe, February, it's one of my favorite months. It's my birthday month. Okay. Short it's month. coming right around the corner, Black History Month. <laughs> yes. I'm excited about okay. it. Okay, to that. How are you doing on those resolutions? Uh, you know, one of my simple resolutions was to drink a liter and a half of water almost every day, and I'm mostly sticking to that, so. Look at that. Something. You've got that going for you? Be frozen today, though. What about you? What's your... <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Like I, like I said earlier, uh, I feel a few months ago, I was like, I'm going to try and lean into winter this year. The weather right now is making it pretty hard to okay. do that. Why is that? What, what, what are you trying to get out of Well, it's my it's my fifth year in New York, and okay. I feel like every winter before I've just been like cursing at it and being mad at it, but now I'm trying to be like, all right, what about some sledding? What about some cocoa? Uh -oh. As you know, I bought a winter jacket this year. finally bought a winter jacket. Isaac's just been wearing like little pea coats forever. And let me tell you, they work. The actual winter jackets? Yes. Yes, Parker's actually <laughs> wild. So I'm holding on to the optimism, but let's take it to the timeline. How's your 2019 going so far? Let us know using the hashtag AM2. Holy shit, it's cold outside. It's really fucking cold. Um, before we move on to our next story, um, I just have to say, I cannot stop thinking about this tweet from Mario Say Fuentes. I saw it earlier and I just had to share it with all of you. He tweeted, uh, I am on a book prize committee for a large professional organization for books about race. Uh, these are all the submissions. You can see them in the photo there. The two stacks on the left are from white men and women, pretty tall. Uh, the remainder stacks are from people of color. Uh. And... <laughs> Again, 2019 <laughs> just keeps letting us down. Listen, diversity in publishing, this is something we talk right. about quite a bit, and yeah. that doesn't just mean diverse author, that, that means diverse editors, that right. means diverse publicity teams, yeah. marketing teams, and whoever is submitting to prizes. This is a prize <laughs> about race. Yeah. Look at that photo. I, you know, and of course, you know, white people are welcome to, you know, do the work and embrace critical race theory, but it's just, it's pretty funny and, you know, raises all kinds of questions. I don't know the tea. I don't know what's going on here with Mario, so I'm just going to say that it gave me life. I was giggling this morning. I just feel really know? bad for that little book right there in the corner. It's like, it doesn't even get to lay all the way down. That's uh, Howard Schultz's book. Okay. Okay, anyway, here's a tweet from Glad Loden, uh, our data science editor here at BuzzFeed. How many clicks through YouTube's Up Next recommendations does it take to go from a PBS clip about the 116th U.S. Congress to an anti-immigrant video from a designated hate organization? Good question. Thanks to YouTube's recommendation algorithm, it only takes nine. Just nine wow. clicks. That troubling fact is from BuzzFeed News tech reporter Caroline O'Donovan's latest deep dive. We followed YouTube's recommendation algorithm down the rabbit hole. Caroline joins us now. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning from Berkeley, where there's an embarrassment of riches. The high is 61 today. Oh, oh well, get out of here with your West Coast. Cut the Coast. segment. West Coast Coast segment. bragging. You're just going to start it <laughs> off with that, Caroline? Cut right. Mike. <laughs> well, listen, you and a team of folks here at BuzzFeed News tried to unpack YouTube's Up Next content recommendation algorithm and found some pretty troubling stuff. So how'd you do the study and what'd you find? Sure. So basically what we did is in a totally fresh session, so no watch history, no personalization data, we... We did, did searches of very common political and news items, which is interesting. A lot of people actually are using YouTube to get news and information. So we do a basic search, something that was in the news at that time. Click the first search result that we found, watch a little bit of the video, and then click the next up next video 
uh, in the right rail, you know, on the right side where it's, it's the video that YouTube is recommending for you to play next. And we do that between, I don't know, 10 and 14 times to kind of get a sense of the journey that YouTube was trying to take viewers on. Um, and what we found was that in some cases, you know, you'd end up watching a bunch of Seth Meyers clips in a row, or you'd, you'd end up watching a bunch of random TV shows by National Geographic that are about cops at airports. But in some cases, um, we found that the findings were more disturbing. So we'd see a lot of hyper-partisan, super, super political videos in a row, a lot of misogynist, anti-woman, anti-feminist videos all in a row. Um, in one case, we found a string of conspiracy theories, including uh, a video that was linked to QAnon, right? Um, and we also found some content that had been posted by uh, actual hate groups, groups that have been designated hate groups by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Wow. Um, and, you know, of course, self-awareness, I understand. It's perhaps odd for the host of a Twitter news show to say, I'm baffled people get their news from YouTube. Uh, but here we are. Uh, YouTube, the company, has already responded to the story. What do they have to say for themselves? Uh, the day after we published our story, YouTube announced that they would be tweaking their algorithm. So obviously, uh, we don't know the specifics of what that means, just like we don't know the specifics of how the algorithm was making its decisions before we published the story. Uh, but what they did say is they would be working to reduce the appearance of borderline content and conspiracy theories in their recommendations. So just to be clear, this has nothing to do with search results. It's not when you type something into YouTube. Yesterday, a tech reporter proved that just yesterday you could type in Hillary Clinton on YouTube and still get a QAnon search result within the first five hits. And I repeated it and found the same exact thing. Um, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when you're already watching a video, what YouTube is suggesting that you watch next. They didn't say they would be removing this content from their website, right? Because that opens up a whole can of um, free speech worms. And it's not something that at this point they seem ready to wade into unless you happen to be Alex Jones. Um, but when it comes to the, the website and the company, you know, Google endorsing content and telling you watch this next, they're going to be working to make it so that you see fewer conspiracy theories lined up there. Okay, and when do you expect these changes to take effect? And is it just going to be mad, like to everyone? Like, will these changes happen to everyone? Or will it be with a small group? So, for example, if you are interested in QAnon conspiracy theories and you follow QAnon channels, you will probably still see QAnon videos in your Up Next recommendations. Uh, but if you are just a, a, a regular person who's never expressed any interest in watching conspiracy or any interest in watching hyperpartisan videos, ideally what YouTube is saying is you're not going to be recommended that content. But if you have a demonstrated interest in it, you might still see it in your up next videos. As far as the timeline, you never really know what these things, they said they would be starting in the US with fewer than 1% of videos. And if it works, if, I think if they said is if they demonstrate that they can do this with some level of accuracy, they'll be rolling it out um, in other countries around the world. Our plan is to continue monitoring it, you know, maybe once a month, check in, do some basic news searches and see what we find. Okay, so, um, you know, uh, this sounds somewhat similar to when uh, Spotify tried to not recommend uh, music from artists like XXXTentacion and R. Kelly, and, you know, they were like, we're not taking them off the platform, we're just not going to recommend them. Um, so this is YouTube's version of that for conspiracy theorists. What are people, not necessarily to call them conspiracy theorists, but at least people on the far right uh, perhaps saying in response to, you know, this change from YouTube? Sure. So uh, starting two days ago, late this week, so uh, like four or five days after our story actually came out, people on the far right, uh, like Jordan B. Peterson, for example, on Twitter started expressing concern that this was some kind of conspiracy against them, that YouTube was reacting to coverage, not just by us, but by other um, outlets in the mainstream media as well, uh, trying to get their content not to appear as frequently on YouTube. Um, my interpretation from of our results would be that, first of all, YouTube's algorithm isn't necessarily engaging in content on one side of the political spectrum or the other. What it's really interested in promoting, it seems, is just stuff that people will watch over and over again and watch for a really long time. Uh, and based on YouTube's blog post, although I asked them, you know, yesterday, are you going to be demoting content by Ben Shapiro? Are you going to be demoting content by Jordan Peterson? And they said they couldn't comment on specific videos. But if you look at the language in their blog post, what they're saying is conspiracy theories, things that say the earth is flat, things that say the moon landing never happened. Um, and then borderline content, which is less clear. I don't, I don't know exactly what that means, but there remains to be seen, I guess, whether or not the channels uh, of those individuals on the far right actually see less traffic following these changes. Hmm. All right. Well, Caroline, thank you for your reporting. This is fascinating. Thanks for joining. And enjoy the weather. Thanks.
You jerk. <laughs> well, listen, we have an incredible show for you despite the weather. Uh, in just a little bit, I'm sitting down with Daniel Radcliffe, which I'm, of course, thrilled about. And Saeed is going to do a very special edition of Fire Tweets with comedian Roy Wood Jr. But first, we're going live from the district. Let's get messy. Welcome back. We are going live from the district. Here's a tweet from Politico's Burgess Everett. Go big, go small, or even appeal to a higher party power. Uh, Mitch McConnell is doing everything he can to avoid another shutdown, bringing this lighthearted message to his negotiators ahead of the conference. Super chill. We are praying for you. Get this done. Super wow. chill. Wow. Yeah. Joining us now to talk about the next looming shutdown is BuzzFeed News DC Bureau Chief Kate Nocera. Good morning, Kate. Good morning. I hope everyone's staying warm today. We are. Hope you are uh, as well. <laughs> Listen, what are congressional leaders doing to stop us from going right back to where we were just a week ago, back into shutdown mode? Well, guys, uh, we have nine Democrats, eight Republicans. They're going to be meeting in a room until February 15th, trying to figure out how much money exactly is going to go to border security. Democrats, as we well know, don't want any money going towards a wall, towards a physical barrier. There is some agreement between Democrats and Republicans on more immigration judges, more tech going to the border, uh, you know, more money for, for border security in a vague way. But no money for the wall is the Democrats' opening position. So. We'll see if they can come together. I mean, the, the, the people on this panel are seasoned negotiators. You know, this is kind of what they do. But uh, as we all know, I mean, I don't have a lot of faith in Congress to figure these kinds of things out. And uh, time is really very short. Right. And, and that's what I wanted to ask. I mean, not only was, of course, the, the last shutdown very protracted, uh, the tensions got high, yeah. you know, the back and forth that some people, you know, could say it got like kind of petty. So, yeah, I mean, to that point, is it is it unreasonable to say, like, I'm sorry, I don't see how these people are going to negotiate after basically chewing each other out for several weeks? Yeah, I mean, the the, the people who are on the panel are sort of the more uh, level headed People who have done negotiating for a long time, they sort of know how to get a package together. The, the problem is, and the problem always will be, what does Donald Trump want? And, and, and he is the president. He's going to have to sign whatever comes out of Congress, and what he says he wants changes every day. I mean, the, he's been saying for weeks now, you know, don't call it a wall. It's steel slats. You can see through it. And then this morning he tweets, it's a wall. Why are we why are we messing around with words here? It is just a wall. So uh, the goalposts keep moving uh, for the president, and that's going to make it really, really hard for negotiators to come up a deal that they feel confident that the president will sign. Yeah, just uh, 800,000 federal workers jobs on the line. Well, Kate, uh, as always, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Here's a tweet from Kate. Uh, big story from Zoe Tillman. Records obtained by BuzzFeed News and interviews shed light on how a staffer went from being fired from the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation under the cloud of a sexual assault accusation to a job on Beto O'Rourke's high-profile U.S. Senate campaign. Well, joining us now to talk about this story, and the stakes are high, is Zoe Tillman. Good morning. Good morning. All right, so Zoe, what exactly happened in 2015? So what we know is that in 2015, a young woman, she was 19 years old, she was interning for the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. Um, we're not using her name. She's referred to as Jane Doe in court papers. Um, so Jane Doe went to police and said that she had been sexually assaulted by a man who was her supervisor at the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. His name was Damian Jones. Um, she says that they were out to dinner, they got drunk, went back to his home where he sexually assaulted her. Um, and from there, things got complicated. Uh, there are a couple layers to this story. Uh, one is that the woman uh, later went to work for a, a member of Congress, Sheila Jackson Lee, who uh, until recently was chair of the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. And this woman, Jane Doe, is now suing Jackson Lee and claiming that because she wanted to sue the foundation more recently over this 2015 assault, 
that Jackson Lee fired her in coordination with the foundation, and that was retaliation. The other angle to this is that the man she accused, Damian Jones, after he was fired from the foundation because of this accusation, um, he, it appears his career was really unaffected, and as a police investigation was playing out in the background over the next two years, he sort of rose in democratic politics until he became a regional political director on O'Rourke's campaign. Um, I should say there were no charges filed against him. Prosecutors declined to press charges. Um, Jane Doe's lawyers are saying that's not because it didn't happen, but it's because there were multiple sources of DNA found when the woman who went to the hospital um, had a sexual assault examination. So there are a lot of different moving pieces to this very complicated story. Okay, I wanted to ask, what has the impact been at the uh, CBCF of this story? Right. So after the news broke about this lawsuit, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee has stepped down as chair of the board of the CBCF. Um, she is denying that she retaliated against Jane Doe, but has still made the decision to leave this very powerful post uh, in Washington. And she has also stepped aside, at least temporarily, from a, a leadership role she had on a congressional committee. All right. So there's going to be a lot of impact and mm. there's still more to come. Zoe, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Coming up, Daniel Radcliffe will be here, but up next, a very special edition of Fire Tweets with comedian Roy Wood Jr. You ready? Like as hell. You feeling ready? You feeling ready? You feeling ready? You feeling ready? I'm feeling ready. Time for a black fire tweets, friends. Uh, today I'm joined black. by comedian Black as Fuck, comedian Roy Wood Jr., host of Comedy Central's This Is Not yeah. Happening. Look at this. Black people. <laughs> black, bitch. Can I say bitch? I'm you can. Sorry. You can say whatever you want. Go as far as you want. Oh, well, fuck it, dude. All right, see, yeah. there we go. Okay, so uh, fire tweets. We've had Noah Centineo. We had Alyssa Edwards from RuPaul's Drag Race, mm-hmm. uh, Janelle James, and okay. now we got now we got you, Roy. All right, well, let's do okay, it. Okay, all right, let's get into this first one. Our first uh, tweet comes from your fellow Daily Show correspondent, Jabuki oh, Young-White. Jabuki Young-White, Jabuki, very good. We fun. live, we live, all right? He tweeted, uh, how are people out here with no therapy, not taking any prescribed or illicit drugs, just raw dog and reality? Just how? Ooh. That one, I don't know how people are doing it. Shout out to CBD. Well, you know what? Sometimes the terror is what keeps, it keeps me slim. <laughs> you know, just having like t- t- a little bit of anxiety yeah. every now and then. That's you true. lose some Keep It's it. like diarrhea. Every oh. now and then it's okay. <laughs> The fear of just walking down the sidewalk and not sure if the person behind me is trying to pass me uh-huh. or stab me. I like that. That's true. I've got to tell you, white me people. Walk faster. Listen, white people jogging on the sidewalks. I don't like it. The other day, I almost cursed a man out because he was jogging up behind. I was like, "You can win. You cannot just be running up on me like that." I don't that. trust anybody that's speed walking. That's my. There's thing. no choose reason a, for choose it. Choose a gear. First gear, or fifth gear. But this shit, whatever this There's shit is. <laughs> That's murder. That's I oh murdered somebody God. and I'm trying to get away Screaming. from you. Yeah, in a I don't subtle way. It's like, I don't well, I did, we love Jabuki Young White. What's uh-huh. it like working with him? Jabuki is bright, young, and brings easily one of the freshest perspectives that I think has ever been on The Daily Show. And I hope he's there a long time. I, yeah. Guys, if you aren't following Jabuki Young White, if you're not seeing him on The Daily Show, you are missing out on, like... Joy and it's, brilliance. It's, it's so good. 100% amazing. His office is right next to mine. I study him because I like to see what these young people up to <laughs> so I can stay up on the trends and all the hippity words. <laughs> hippity words. Yeah, I kick in Jabuki's door once a week. I go, Boom, what's the new word? <laughs> Tell me one of them new young words. <laughs> Screw it. All right, you what ready? So sweat. What's one of these words, boy? <laughs> Are you ready to do a fire tweet? Yeah, let's do all a right. fire tweet. I don't care how many kids we have. We're not buying no van. Somebody just can't go. Oh. Now, Uh I'm with K on that. Because you have a two-year-old. I have a two-year-old. Okay. Now, my girl wants more kids. And it's just something about a minivan that just take all your cool. That's true. Away. I've never seen it. Third row, and people go, oh, get an SUV, third row seating. No, you can't get no third row seating because it's too long. And this is New York. You ain't nowhere to park a long ass SUV. If you got them, if you have five kids and you ain't got but four seats, that's when you choose which one to love. 
<laughs> what to wait to love? What which one before you love? Oh, wow, like everybody's not gonna get that extracurricular it's like the activity. Football playoffs, man. They can't be before. Somebody gotta be snubbed. Oh my goodness. That, what's wrong with that? It makes that fifth kid try harder next year at Christmas. Wow. You are brutal. What's wrong? This Roy. is not brutal. This is about preparing a child for a world where they will not be coddled. Oh and when God. they stand on the curb and they see that minivan speeding off into the distance without them, <laughs> they'll know that they need to be a better human being. You were killing me. Life okay. is about encouraging self-reflection. Okay. <laughs> I can't. Okay. This next tweet comes from Ariel. <laughs> Ariel said, me, uh, why do I feel a constant low-grade panic? It's like my blood is carbonated. Also me, yum, yum, let's turn on Twitter and see who's yelling. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what it's like. And you you tweet a lot. You're about you're not hiding from politics in the news. No, I, I don't. I, I'm, I'm you're on, on that Twitter. anxiety diet. I'm on Twitter on a pretty regular basis. I try to keep a lot of the drama. That's one of the advantages of being on a daily show mm -hmm. is that if it's a good political tweet, thought, or mm -hmm. direction, I don't put it on Twitter to argue with people. Mm. I just take it to the writer's wing. That makes I go, sense. Yo, here's an idea. Let's mm. put it on a TV show. So when I get ready to really argue on Twitter, I go, mm. wait a minute. I work on a TV show. I can just I like that. put this shit on TV. So wait, are Let's we getting like your argue. leftovers? Um, that you're, you get, you're getting the stuff that I can't put on a daily show. So okay. it's the errant weird thoughts and then okay. it's sports tweets because we dabble in sports, but uh -huh. it's usually where sports and politics intersect. Uh -huh. But it's it's much more fun to just watch everybody else argue. That's true. Like that's, that's true. my thing right now. Like the thing right now on Twitter this morning, um, there's rumors that Michael B. Jordan will be back as Killmonger mm. in Black Panther 2. We, did, we technically didn't see him, his body at the and end. And that's what everybody's saying. Uh -huh. And then here come all the comic book people. Well, technically, <laughs> if you know the comic book, you would know that Killmonger returned. <laughs> I, look, we got to have a truce between comic book, com comic book people. Listen. Tell them to the camera. Tell them to them. We love y'all. And I know that you love the source material. It's what you grew up on, and you know it better than anybody else. But if only people who read comic books watch comic book movies, there wouldn't be enough box office revenue to make more comic book movies. You have to let dummies like me and everybody else be surprised <laughs> when we hear some news. Because people are surprised, and people are surprised. Like, yeah, because they hadn't read the fucking comic book. <laughs> So they don't know that Killmonger probably comes back. Like, leave us alone. Let us enjoy this oh. at our own pace. Okay, let's get look. Let, let's get I'm into sorry, the tweet. See, that's what don't I go don't, there. Come back. I come just back. Lost half a pound. Look. <laughs> Here you go. You want to do this tweet of the day? Yeah. All right. Tweet of the day. Can't really explain it, but that nod between two black people on a movie studio lot is deeper than most. Kind of like the time I saw a black dude on my flight to North Dakota. <laughs> Just like, hey. Oh, shit, I did tweet what's that. What's good? Yeah, what's good? I did. I All right, did. well, let's talk about, because this comes up a lot in No One Loves You. You know, your Comedy Central special is very much about being black in America. Right. What, can you give a good story about being black in Hollywood? Well, the, the thing that I Or in North to, Dakota? The thing that I've always under, the thing that I had to understand mm -hmm. once I started auditioning for movies and everything is that you could audition for a role and you will look around the room and it is established actors mm. in that room. Like mm -hmm. actors that's got shit. I won't say the actor, I, I auditioned to do a voice for the Cleveland show when okay. it first came out. Okay. And I looked around the room and it was like, it was three Emmys. Wow. It's like three Emmys in the room. It was another dude. I saw him. I was like, motherfucker, you got a show on TV now. Why are you trying to get another show when you already got a show? <laughs> Bitch, get your ass up out of here. Get your greedy ass. Yeah. I need this. I need but this. But that's when I understood it. It was mm. in that moment I understood it that every single thing you have to fight for. It wow. doesn't matter where you are mm -hmm. on the totem pole. Mm -hmm. It's something important. And once you're here, that sense of belonging and understanding that fight of what it took for you to get there, mm -hmm. when you walk past another brother on the Warner Brothers mm -hmm. lot, it don't matter where you are on that mm -hmm. totem pole. It's that still, bad. what's up? Yeah, absolutely. I see you fighting, brother. Yeah, that's real. Now, when you find in North Dakota, it's just like, motherfucker, stick with me. If that shit go down. <laughs> just stay close. Stay yeah, close. Stay close. Just stand <laughs> next to each other. But, but to that point, you know, you, of course, have been on the road. You've been all over the country. You've been in the South, you've been in the Midwest, and you keep it 100 all the time. What's it like keeping it 100 in those different parts of the country? It, sometimes you get stared at, and sometimes you get a high five. You know, it just <laughs> depends. I just think at the end of the day, as a comedian, your responsibility is to spit your truth mm -hmm. as you see it, regardless of who's listening. Mm -hmm. Because if you're changing up for every audience that you're in front of, then you're a different performer every night. So what have you accomplished? Mm -hmm. You haven't done anything. Have you wow. truly grown? Have you really done anything that's really 
for the greater good mm -hmm. if you're just going, okay, what do y'all want to hear about tonight? Well, let's just do that. Right. No, let's talk about some stuff that's a little uncomfortable yeah. and try and approach it from a fair place. Mm -hmm. You know, and mm -hmm. that's, that's the only thing I try to talk about in the special is just that we live in a world where we expect everybody to be nice, mm -hmm. but for the most part, it's a lot of people that do the right thing for the right reason, mm -hmm. do the right thing for the right price, mm -hmm. not the right reason. Money. Money. And yeah. also it's worth remembering, they did come to see you, so you need to be yourself. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's real. It's, it's real. real. Well, it's man, I'm excited for everyone to watch this, <laughs> this special because you're funny as hell, Thank smart so as much. shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Buy it. Buy it, friends. Well, Buy it. Stream it online. I don't know how you watch shit. Let me ask Jabuki. <laughs> I was about to say. Is it Jabuki, how do young people watch shit after it's already been on TV one time? Where do you find it online? Is it on demand? <laughs> Incredible. All right. Roy Wood Jr. Tweet Jabuki. Ask Jabuki how to find my shit. Everyone you know should tweet him and ask how to watch. Fine. The special yeah. is No One Loves You is available now on Comedy Central. And new episodes of This Is Not Happening starts this Friday, February 1st. Prime time for Black History Month. Welcome. Up next, Isaac is going to sit down with a real miracle worker, actor Daniel Radcliffe. That's happening. We've got black as hell, magic as shit. Look at that. <laughs> I'm joined now by actor Daniel Radcliffe. His new show is called Miracle Workers. Good morning, man. Good morning. Thank how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing really you well. Surviving the cold. I'm surviving the cold. How about you? Yeah, yeah. Do you have like a giant jacket? Yes. Like, it's, yeah. Is, do you have like the hole that like, goes all the way down to the feet? No, I should have done. Yeah. I, I went for like it looks. It's a, it's a little cool looking, so it's probably a little shorter and gives me less. A upper thigh coverage, <laughs> I would like it to. A little yeah. fashion over function. Yeah, exactly. Listen, Miracle Workers, you play an angel yeah. that's trying to get people's prayers answered. Yes. To, you know, interesting to effects. Varying degrees of success. We've yeah. got a clip here. Let's take a okay, look. Okay, cool. Impossible. Impossible. Oh, incoming. Two million prayers received. This department seems wildly understaffed. It was designed to accommodate a much smaller Earth population. No one ever imagined the planet was going to get this crowded. There's no way we can answer all of those. I generally try and shoot for three, four a day. Although, now that I've got you, a teammate, there's no telling what we can do. I'm thinking five, six, maybe as many as six. Maybe as many as Maybe six. Maybe as many as six. I mean, that's the thing. It's, you know, Eliza, who's played by Geraldine uh, Viswanathan, you can see in that scene, um, she, her previous job was sorting all the prayers. So her, she had been in an office where, like, you know, or, or um, you know, she, or, she, or you know, the kind of the joke is that all those prayers that you see being dumped in a pile, the previous step of that was them being sorted very, you know, into into various categories. Mm -hmm. And then in the next scene, you just see them all getting dumped in one huge pile again. <laughs> so it's sort of, that's one of the very many ways that the, like, the, the heaven that we've created, that Simon's created in the show is very like bureaucratic, but also none of it works. A lot of bureaucracy, but none of it works. Not yeah. relatable at all. No, I'm sure exactly. there's nobody that, that understands <laughs> that, that those, feels those that. feelings. Let's, let's talk about your co-star though real quick. Yeah. Geraldine's incredible. Yes. I just saw her, I just watched Blockers, and oh, I, I, just thrilling. Is she as incredible to work with uh, Offset as she seems on set? She, she is awesome. Um, it's, I'm so like happy for her. She's, obviously she had huge success last year with Blockers. She's just, uh, she finished making movie with Hugh Jackman, I believe, just before Christmas, and she's got a film at Sundance called Hollow, which is just done amazingly and everyone's talking about, and it's like, it could not happen to a more deserving person. Like, she is so hardworking, she's so funny, she's so good, but she's also like, there's a real toughness to Geraldine, which I very much appreciate. Like, Geraldine, there's like one little action sequence that she did in in our in our show, and like, she badly hurt her ankle like a week out from the end of filming. Oh no. And just, Continued like just she shot the last week of the show on crutches, com uncomplaining. She was just, just a like, true. Yeah, she's tough she's, as nails. Yeah, she's awesome. It's an incredible cast that you've gotten together. Yeah. What's the, you know what's the energy like on set? I mean, you've got Steve Buscemi playing God. Yeah, I mean it's incredibly it it, it really is incredibly fun. I, mean, I I got to be involved in the casting of the show as well, um, and in in watching you know Geraldine and and Karen Sony's auditions and, and John Bass and Sasha as well, and like it's. From the word go, we were we were really set on you know you want to get people who you whose performances are great and which of they all were, but also you want to get people who you like want to work with and who and and I think we did have a really incredibly fun sort of um, atmosphere on set and and it just you know it's there's something about going to work and 
making a comedy, which is just so lovely. Like, you don't have to go in and, you know, get covered in blood or cry or do any of the stuff that I normally seem to do in films. And, and yeah, and it, it was, it's just, yeah, it was really just like joyous to go in and just like, like, be it, silly all day. It feels good to laugh. Yeah, exactly. Um, listen, Simon Bridge, <laughs> if, if you were yeah. involved with the casting, were you a fan of his work? We've had him on the show. He's oh, absolutely cool. wonderful. Yeah. Were you a fan of his work I was, before this? Yeah. Um, yeah, my girlfriend actually introduced me to his books a few years ago, and I was just uh, completely obsessed. Uh, one in God's Name was, I think, was the first one I read, actually. Um, and then shortly after that, I, I managed to like get a meeting with Simon, and I was just like, I will do anything. If you ever make this into anything, like, I would love to be a part of it in any capacity. Like, I really, I, I don't care. Like, you could make it as, you can make it for the radio, and I'd be like, yes, I'm in. Like, I, I just, I loved the writing so much. Um, and then it was like a year after that that he phoned me up with the idea of doing it as a TV series, um, which for me was amazing, because like, I. I you know, so much cool stuff happens on American TV, um, but often you sign contracts that are sort of five to seven years, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I've, having played one character for a long time already, I sort of didn't want to get locked into that again. Rather daunting. Rather exactly. daunting, um, yes. So I didn't, so yeah, so it was sort of after, after and then uh, he presented it as like the idea, the idea of the series, if we're lucky enough to get a second series, is that it's an anthology series, so mm -hmm. we'll be starting again with different characters, different story, different setting and everything, so yeah, it's getting to do TV with these amazing people, but also not having to play the same character for a long I ideal. absolutely love it. Listen, uh, you're talking about how much you love TV, obviously a lot of film, but you also love the stage. You yeah. just absolutely kill it on Broadway. You were just in the lifespan of a, of a fact. Yeah. And for that, you played a fact checker, yes. and you actually spent a day at the New Yorker with their fact checking yes. team. I spent like two hours there. I won't even say <laughs> it. Then. I, I don't want to like. I don't want to be like. Yeah, I worked so hard on that. And like they, and then the actual fact checkers watch this and be like, No, nah, you didn't. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's I, smart. Good I, on you for being on that. Yeah, but I, but I did. I mean, I was allowed to go in, and you know, they did have me fact check a restaurant review, <laughs> uh, which was very sort of intimidating and daunting, and I've never been. I've, you know, one of the most nervous times I've had in my life was calling up this very, very nice chef and just asking him about how to spell his name and things like that. Um, but then the other, yeah, it was, it was amazing to just see this, because not everywhere has a fact-checking department anymore. It's a sort of, you know, it's, it's something that is less prevalent than it used to be because uh, it's expensive and it was time and money. Um, but the New Yorker has a really dedicated young fact-checking staff and it was very inspirational, like, meeting them all. And yeah. they had also just, some of them had, like, just come from being on the phone with you know, White House press secretaries and like really important stuff. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, you know, it's- You're like, you know, I got the chef's name. I figured out how <laughs> yeah, to spell exactly. it right. Guys, check it out, check That's it out. Totally like, I was no, like we, so impressed with myself and they're doing like proper work. But listen, we call it, we call that picking up the phone and it, and it can be daunting at times. Yeah. Did, did the, did doing that, did going through that give you any sympathy towards journalists? Did God, you feel yeah, like you were- know, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I haven't, um, you know, I've always had a certain amount of sympathy towards journalists and, or, or uh, you know, a huge respect for what, um, they do, and yeah, and and, and uh, you know that little bit of potential uh, conflict. You know, there wasn't any conflict. I phoned this guy up; he was really nice, but like <laughs> he could have been. Like the fact that there was even potential for like, oh, is this going to be awkward on the phone? That had me freaked out. Like actually <laughs> calling somebody up who you know will not want to talk to you, and having to give that, and having to tell them something you know they won't want to hear. Yeah, uh, it's not. That's it, not what I'm built for. It's not that fun, uh, Lizzie. No. You also recently made headlines though, talking about the Super Bowl. You're oh, rooting yeah. for the Rams. I am. You're, yes. I, mean, I would like to say there is another reason for me rooting for the Rams, which is just like the New England Patriots now are sort of equivalent to Manchester United, uh, the football team in England in the 90s, where it's just like, you've been too good for too long. And we would like other people. And also, like, this, this season's been so exciting with, like, Kansas City and the Rams and, like, loads of, like, teams that have been kind of okay for a while or, or not good for a while suddenly becoming great. That like for it all to end in just the Patriots just winning again would just seem really like well what a waste of an amazing season. I know Boston sports fans will not feel like this, but you but know. the rest of the country, but, you know, it's also, a like, big country. Boston has the most ridiculous sports history of any. Like you've had like there's not been a year when one of your teams hasn't won a championship for like 20 years. <laughs> Give someone Give else a chance. Give somebody else a chance. You've been leaning on that Boston Red Sox really? 80 years thing for a very mm. long time. But let me ask uh, you, how did you be? Become a fan of football. Like you obviously are very knowledgeable about it. You're in fantasy teams. I am. I've got two fantasy leagues. I, I mean, I you can debate whether I'm knowledgeable about it because one of my teams ended up one and ten this year. Um, <laughs> was it one and ten or was it one and however many games we have? I won one game. Um, the other one I got into playoffs just. But yeah, I, I was doing. I did a musical over here, which you know. Um, 
uh, most people probably don't expect like how you got into American football to be well I the, I was doing an America I was doing a musical on Broadway and you know those guys are massive football fans but um, but yeah they 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 were so the, one of them started a fantasy league and they they needed people in it just to make up the numbers so I was like yeah fine I'll do it and then I didn't have my password and login for four weeks and I didn't care and then after four weeks I was like nah I've lost every game because I haven't been changing my team and there's just injured players and there was just like a competitive part I mean it was like well you've got to do something put up a fight. Um, and so I got into it like that, and then like that, it just sucked me in. Like, I know, I know. I think like real football purists, some some of them sort of look down on fantasy, like oh, you're not really just watching the game, you know. But in terms of getting people into the game, yeah. it is an amazing way of just like sucking you, you in. And you got the buzz. Yeah, yeah. And you were like, I'm not gonna be last place in this musical fantasy <laughs> no. football yeah. league. And it's and it's uh, well, well, actually the league that I came one in ten in this year is is the is still that same league. So I, I'm still coming last <laughs> in the league, but it's but at least I know more now. You're giving more yeah. of an effort. Well, listen. Speaking of games, we also love a game here at Buzzfeed. So I'm gonna ask you. Oh, cool. To play one. Let's do it. It's called Radcliffe. Okay. <laughs> or Badcliffe. Badcliffe. All right, right Radcliffe right. or Badcliffe. Yeah. Do you think you understand the premise here? Is something either rad okay. or bad yeah, yeah, yeah. cliff? Here's the thing, cool. though. you got to say the whole word. Okay. Okay? Right, You're going to so, do it? Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah, you ready? Yeah. First off, Maroon 5 performing at the Super Bowl. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean... Oh. From the heart. From the heart. I'm from the heart, like Badcliffe. But okay. <laughs> but this is the th this is why I'll say it because I, I have not been a I have not I'm not a fan of Maroon Five music or like I think I'm not. But I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day who was saying that he knows one of uh, one of the guys and they were saying that like men never like to admit that they like their music. Like mm. young guys never like to admit that they know or like Maroon Five songs. So I'm probably just falling into that trap. And probably in my heart of hearts, I maybe I maybe I secretly love them and just don't know it yet. It, it might be your next it football. Might, it's just they've it, never been my thing, but but you know, full respect to, to them and, and doing the show. All right, an easier one here. What about Brexit? Oh, Badcliffe. Oh, Badcliffe. I mean, that, I, 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 you know, it's, it's not exactly like going well right now, is it? Like, I mean, but it's also just like confused, Cliff, because I don't know. I really, I don't. Like, I don't even know what to look for next. Like, at least like over here, everything's crazy at the moment. But you kind of know, like, people are saying, like, oh, this is a thing that might happen next, and this is the thing you might be able to expect. Whereas in England, everyone's just going, like, you turn on the news, and everyone's just like. Pfft. I don't know. We don't Who get... knows what's going to happen? <laughs> Literally, that's what the, the, the people with the knowledge are just like, yeah. we like don't know Like I read an article happening. the other day where it was like 10 different people giving their opinions on what might happen next with Brexit, and most of them were like, no one knows. <laughs> we're so, not sure. Yeah, we're We've had a bit confused. of that on the show as well. Uh, what about Rent Live? Didn't see it. So Didn't get a chance can, can to see it. honestly comment... Uh, Neutral clip. Yeah, neutral clip. Um, neutral yeah. clip. Would would you want to play a, a role in Rent? I I somebody was talking to me about that the other day. Actually, funny enough, um, just because they were saying like, oh, you you you'd be good for that thing. I, I don't know the show very well, to mm. be honest. Is the, I I remember I sang one of the songs with my singing teacher when I was learning to sing, um, but I didn't I I didn't know what the, what was the consensus on the show. Was it? it was, a, a lot of people loved it. A lot of it wasn't live, unfortunately, because there was an oh, injury. Oh, that. Yeah. Yes. But you and know, I heard that some somebody was saying that some of the other people might have been like. Saving their voices. Absolutely. Like, you know how that goes, guys. right? You're yeah. in your dress rehearsal, you kind of save. And that's save. like, and that's, I mean, yeah, that's, and they're doing, a, doing one of those live shows. I've had a few friends who did like uh, Sound of Music and a couple of the other ones, and it is, that is, that's some hard work. It's really tough. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. Absolutely. All right, what about finding out that your cameo in the second Lego, Lego movie had been cut? Um, untrue, Cliff. Whoa, talk to uh, me. Was never in the second Lego movie. Really? No. That I think this is something they were saying recently that they had maybe planned to do a Harry Potter thing and then oh. couldn't get the rights, which also honestly confuses me because Lego has the Lego rights. Lego has the rights, Lego I think, and it was in the oh. Dumbledore was in the first movie. Yeah. But um, but yes, yeah, so I I was never asked. I was never in the second Lego movie. If I had been in the second Lego movie and then cut from it. Devastated. <laughs> Devastated. But, but fortunately, did not happen. So that's incredible. Thank yeah. you for clarifying. No, thank that. you for giving I me a chance. To I clarify. think that's, that's some nice. news. Yeah. All right, here's here's this, this tweet. This cool. tweet. You ready? Yeah. Hogwarts didn't always have bathrooms. Before adopting muggle plumbing methods yeah. in the 18th century, witches and wizards simply re relieved themselves wherever they stood. I mean, I'm I'm gonna vanish the I'm evidence. Happy to weigh in on this. Bad clip. <laughs> like, I didn't know that. Hold it up. That's what Hold I was doing. I like. Is that? Do we like that? That is. You know. 
That's, I don't like the implications. I, I filmed that character for a long time without knowing that that was a part of that character's life. I could have done with that information. <laughs> I mean, 18th century, 80s, back in the oh, day. Oh, right, okay. Back but, in the so, day. But yeah, I mean, I do have many questions about it. Like, what? I mean, can we not just vanish it from our stomachs? Great question. Can we, you know, I, I, I've, got, I've got a few follow-ups there, definitely. Okay. And, and, and I, you know, yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm not okay with the idea that we would just... You're bad. Where we stood. You're, you're um, bad. You, I'm you bad think they, they, they would have yeah, had I would like to revise that bit of the history. Absolutely. All right, this last one here. You ready? It's a deep fake mashup video of your co-star Steve Buscemi and Jennifer Lawrence. Let's take a look. Wow. And hang on. We're gonna. So I think ready. we're gonna play the video if we can. It's, I mean, it's. I mean, you can. See, I can you comment can, you can on what I'm seeing get, already. Yeah, let's do it. Call, I mean. Have you this seen is, the video yet? No. Okay, not just at so you all. know, a deep fake video is one that gets edited and it literally looks like Steve Buscemi is on Jennifer Lawrence and he's talking. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean, I not so much in the context of this. This is kind of amusing and weird and funny. Mm. The idea of that being a thing that is very easy for everybody to do is Purely terrifying. Super bad cliff. Yes. There's Sup very such super, super such bad cliff. That video funny, but very But generally very bad speaking, cliff. implications terrifying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that's pretty much where we all are, my yeah, friend. Yeah, man, that's really scary. A little bit terrified. Well, Daniel, thank you so oh, much for playing you. Radcliffe and Bad that Cliff. That was very fun. I think you're very rad, Radcliffe. Uh, listen, Miracle Workers premieres Tuesday, February 12th on TBS. It looks absolutely fabulous. You're not going to want to miss it. Up next, Saeed is talking and drawing with artist Nathan Pyle. Welcome back. I've got news for you. I'm over adult coloring books. Trash. I'm all about doodle books. I'm so excited about this new trend. Uh, Nathan Pyle, New York Times bestselling author, former BuzzFeed friend. I love him so much. Joins me now to discuss his latest project, 99 books I could tell, 99 stories I could tell, a doodle book to help you create. I'm so excited about this. Good. Oh my gosh. I'm ready. Okay, so first of all, you guys gotta know, Nathan's one of the nicest people in the city of New York. <laughs> this is like a verifiable fact. It's not a lie. Um, what uh, drew you to come up with this idea? I wanted to do something that was for all ages. It's okay. right there on the cover. Okay. Hey, for all ages. So the idea is anyone can draw, anyone mm -hmm. can doodle. And it's it not helps. about like perfect art. That's right. It helps you though, if you get these prompts, mm -hmm. immediately you're starting to doodle, you start mm -hmm. to come up with stories you mm -hmm. can tell. It helps you when you write to draw, and it helps you when you draw to write. Mm -hmm. So those two things are like two hands climbing up the tree of your mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was incredible. That amazing. Uh, but it worked. It worked, okay, right. yeah. And, yeah. and to that point, there's a lot of memory. There's a lot of, yeah. like, draw something like for your parents That's or right. something you remembered as a kid. A um, sh TV show you weren't allowed to watch that you snuck. Okay. Yeah, because it, it, does that kind of generate creativity in your experience? It does, yeah. When I ask people, what well, was a TV show that you weren't allowed to watch, people immediately come up with a story. Mm -hmm. uh, for some people, it's like The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to watch I wasn't allowed to watch, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons either, well, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I guess we turned out okay. Oh, we did. Right. <laughs> right, and sometimes you end up sneaking it. Sometimes mm -hmm. you, you go downstairs, right. or you, you learn how to program the VCR. Totally. Yeah. Um, I would watch, I watched um, Queer as Folk uh, when it debuted on Showtime with the, like, the volume down to one right. with my face against the TV. <laughs> right, ridiculous. right. Yeah. You gotta go down and you uh -huh. gotta be covert when you do it. Uh -huh. uh, but that's what's really fun. Immediately when you start to doodle these things, mm -hmm. uh, you really start to, uh, relatable stories. Like one of them is a fictional TV character or movie character who died mm. and that surprised you. Oof. For me it was Mufasa. <gasps> Uh, and yep. If you haven't seen Lion King, Mufasa dies. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, and he I'm does, sorry. Yeah, traumatizing. No, sure. Uh, it's really sad, yeah. uh, but it's his brother Scar who kills mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. <laughs> and you really should have. I forgot that you have a really dry sense of You really should have seen it coming. <laughs> His name was Scar, and he sounded like I'm Jeremy Irons. I'm so mad at you. Okay, I do want to bring up one of the pages from the book. Yeah. Is this the hair page? Uh, which, yeah, yeah. Okay, because you have been on a hair journey in the uh, years. It's true. Is yeah, that what inspired true. it? Uh, yeah, it's really true. I, I was a bull cut kid when I, when I played soccer as a okay. child. Uh, so my first phase was bull cut. Okay. But over the years, I, I buzzed. Mm -hmm. I know you know how it is when you're... When you're buzzing like in the winter, the mm -hmm. side of your head's like yeah, very it's, cold. It's, it's been a rough, a it's rough cold. few weeks. <laughs> it is cold if you have no hair up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's what I ended up growing out my hair long mm -hmm. again. And when you live in New York and you walk around in the cold, it's so nice. So that's where I am now. I'm a freelancer. Okay. Uh, oh, freelancer okay. Is my, my final that phase. That is really funny. That's my final phase because I think I'll be a freelancer for the for a long time, and you can grow your hair however you want to when you're a freelancer. 
You can Nobody do knows. for you what? Yeah. <laughs> well, I also, <laughs> nobody knows. They can't yeah. see you. Just they can't. Yeah, all day. No one knows what I look like. LOL. Um, I also wanted to talk about this comic you drew a few years ago. Yeah. And you repost it um, every so often, sure. I think, when you're moved. It's the eagles. Yes. Um, and, and people can see it there, but it's basically right. like two eagles being like, I don't understand, you know, what is it, like Mr. Mouse's concern? Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem like a problem to me. Um, you know, can you talk about why you reshare it and what's the reaction that you get? The eagles in this case are, of course, discussing whether or not an owl is a predator. Mm-hmm. Uh, the eagle says, do you think the owl is a predator? And the other eagle says, he's never bothered me. And, I'm and good. That's, that's, What's the yeah. big deal? And so then he says, oh, I don't know what Mr. Mouse was talking about. So when I drew that, I again, I make things for all ages, mm-hmm. and that's one of my big, that's my part of my brand, is yeah. just to make things for families, because I get comments from people say, oh, I enjoy this with my son or mm-hmm. my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a kid who grew up very polite, but I just didn't ever really think about systemic injustice mm. that I didn't see. Mm. And this was a comic and a cartoon that I think helped me and other people to process this idea. Like, if you're an eagle and you, you hear from someone else that an owl is bothering them, mm-hmm. you probably just don't think about it. You just don't. So, and that was me. That was me growing up thinking, like, I've never had a bad experience with right. a police officer. Mm-hmm. Never once thought a police officer was anything other than someone to be trusted. Mm-hmm. And then growing up and starting to realize over time, like, I'm just not listening to people. Mm. I need to listen more. Mm-hmm. So my time at BuzzFeed was formative. I, I, I read essays and I saw tweets and all, all these things from people who, who said, I experienced this mm-hmm. just trying to immigrate to America. Mm-hmm. Or I experienced this just trying to live a normal life and drive my car mm-hmm. and being harassed by police or being harassed by uh, uh, white people. Yeah. So those things for me, I think, come out in a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And I want kids to be able to be exposed to that idea of systemic injustice as soon as possible. Right. Because that's what I could have used, and, and more of that growing up. I just need to be shaken out of this uh, world where uh, nothing threatens me. Mm. And, uh, and that requires listening and actually just retweeting instead of putting my own words in. Yeah, well, I, I, I love that comic so much. I revisited it for a while. Actually, I have to tell you, I printed it off. I've done this with several oh, of thank Nathan's. you. I appreciate Several it. of Nathan's comics, I printed them off and put them in my desk or in my office here. Thank you, um, Because it, it helps, because I, I feel that you've, I remember, you know, like, Ashley Ford, like, you would, like, read her work, talk to her, yeah. and then draw work. And so it's like you've, you've learned things, and then you, you just turn Turn the learning not just into being a better, more open person, but sharing it and creating tools that, you know, whether you're an adult or a kid, yeah. eagles talking about how a mouse feels about being in danger, we can all identify with it. So I, I, guess I, hope, I right? really appreciate it. Well, Thank so you. I want to do a little doodle. Okay. I want to have a doodle moment. Great. So we've got, I I'm think excited. Hey, problems. we got favors. So I think the idea is I'm going to, I wish, and I don't doodle. I, get you do it. now. Okay. <laughs> There's no, it's never too late to start. Okay, so what are we going to do? Okay, so if you can see this, oh, perfect. Yeah. There we Ooh, go. It's right there, just Magic like that. TV. Uh, I start with the eyes because the eyes are really easy to start with. Okay. And you can see the mouth here is very troubled. The, okay, I see some stress. Yeah, the stress is already coming out. Okay. So you can see that stress. Uh, we're going to go like this, and then we're going to do two hands. If you just do two hands and then a mouth and eyes, that's really all you need a lot of times. So the idea is that I have an irrational fear of, so okay. I'll write that down here. I and hate how quickly that came together. How well, I'm like, ooh, this guy is stressed. You know what? Yeah, you're, <laughs> you just want the emotion okay. more than anything. Uh, so fear of. And that's the question. You get to doodle in the rest. Uh, um, something up oh. here. What do you have an irrational fear of? Say? I've never told anyone this. Okay, this is a okay, so I, Do I write it or do I? Uh, start drawing it up here. Okay. And then you'll write it down there. Okay. Um, I... Let's see if you can... Okay. Looks like you're growing something. Yeah. Yeah. I have an irrational fear of mushrooms growing out of my body. That is the first time I've ever heard anyone have you say not that. Heard that. I've never exactly. heard anyone it feels say like, that. You know, like I feel like an annihilation, like you see some, I don't know why, but yeah, yeah, like, and it's, I still have it. Yeah. Like, and we don't have a whole body, but like I yeah. have dreams where like um, mushrooms are growing out of like my stomach. It's, yes. It freaks me out. That's fascinating. Yeah. Did you have? Uh, did you ever eat mushrooms as a kid? I don't like mushrooms okay. very much. Right. I don't. There's something about the way they just like kind of pop up overnight. It's weird. It creeps me. It is uh, strange. And the, the fact spores. That anyone ever sliced those and put them on pizza never made sense yeah, to me. Don't like it. Um, okay. But I can see that you you clearly have drawn right here. Saeed has drawn mushrooms growing out yeah. of his hands and his face. Uh-huh. And that's really good because I think what we have is a breakthrough. Mm. Like if you've never told anyone, mm-hmm. now it's out in the open. Yeah. 
But now we're, good. We're, we're good. A little less scary. It's I like less it. scary. It's something we can share together. Aww. I'm sharing your burden now. <laughs> so <laughs> your mushroom fear is Thank now you. mine too. Welcome. Yeah. yeah. No, because it's scary. We're out both there. afraid. Oh I never thought about yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, could, I'll tell you the whole thing. It could happen. Yeah. Right. The whole literature around it. Okay, Nathan. Yeah. Thank you. Thank so you so much. You are the best. I'm really excited about this book because we're yeah. always talking about new ways to deal with stress yes. and, and self care, and I think this is something I'm going to use. Um, the book is 99 stories I could tell. It's yeah. available everywhere books are sold. And yeah. if you're in New York, you can catch Nathan at Powerhouse, Powerhouse tonight in Brooklyn. Tonight in Brooklyn, That's right. exciting. 7 p.m. I like it. And with we've my already. Holly. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, T. It's going to be cold as hell. Yeah, it will be so cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm um, and sorry. we've already tweeted this out, and I've seen a lot of your tweets. Um, we're going to take this to the timeline. We're going to tweet out the prompt that Nathan drew. Yeah. Uh, there it is, your irrational fear. And tweet us your artwork using the hashtag aim to dm Tag Nathan. He's at Nathan W. Pyle, and you should obviously follow him. Um, and we will yeah. pick a winner at the end of the week and send you a copy of the book. I right. love it. Uh, don't go away. More AM to DM is up. So good. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> He's awesome. Here's a tweet from Geraldine. Reading about Lorena Bobbitt and I realized something. It wasn't that we didn't know about the violence against women. It was that we were told it didn't matter. Powerful words there. A New York Times writer at large, Amy Chozik, who spoke to Lorena Bobbitt, who is now known as Lorena Gallo, joins me now. Hi, Amy. Hi, how are you? Good, good. So you wrote the story, and it's called You Know the Lorena Bobbitt Story, Just Not All of It. And you actually got to speak with Lorena about her experience. What is it like for you as a journalist, as someone who I assume knew the story going into it, what was the biggest surprise you found from talking to her directly? Yeah, I mean, I, we spent the afternoon to get, we spent a day together in Manassas where the whole thing went down 26 years ago and where she still lives. And look, we were probably pretty young when it happened, but um, I just remember thinking like some crazy, jealous white lady cut off her husband's penis in a fit of rage. You know, that's sort of, I think was what I had in my head when you when I heard Lorena Bobbitt. And just the story, as so many of these things are, as we re-examine them through the prism of today's lens, is just not anything like what we thought. For one, I had completely forgotten that Lorena was an immigrant. She was from Ecuador. She was 24 years old. She was completely alone in the U.S. I mean, so the terror, and this happens a lot to victims of domestic violence. They're often immigrants who you know, are afraid of being deported or have nowhere to go. Um, and I had honestly forgotten about the violence. I had no idea that Mary marital sexual assault was essentially not a crime in most states. And it was impossible to prove in Virginia, where I had no idea about this either, that she had called 911 repeatedly saying that her husband had sexual, sexually assaulted her. And there was like nowhere for her to go. This was before the Violence Against Women Act passed. And there weren't a lot of shelters. She would sleep in her car outside the nail salon where she worked to try to get away from him. So just all of these things, I mean, I was just stunned by the level of violence and also the way, you know, Jordan Peele, who did get out and is executive producing this documentary about Lorena says that there are three characters. There's John, Lorena, and there's us, society. And I think, you know, I kept thinking about that third character, us, and sort of how we viewed her and how we demonized her and how we made her the punchline of all these jokes without really knowing the level of violence that she endured. I think one of the most surprising things that I got out of your article was, obviously, I, I didn't know a lot about a lot of the violence either. Like you said, I was very young when it happened. But that she still lives in the town where it happened. She drives past these places every single day. Can you go in a little bit after the trial what her life has looked like and what she's built since then? Yeah, I mean, one of the best sort of data points for why we should have always believed her is how she and John Wayne Bobbitt have chosen to live their lives after the trial. Lorena, again, was an immigrant. She had a job there doing nails. She didn't want to leave. Where was she going to go? You know, is she going to go back to Latin America? She said, had I left, it would have been like letting John win. You know, this is my home. This is where my friends were. And so she stayed. And, you know, when we, we went around, um, town together. I went to a coffee shop and people recognize her and she's just sort of accepted that this is, you know, part of who she is. But she said, I'm not going to let him win and let him, you know, make me go back to Latin America or go 
to some other town and have to start my life over. So she has lived a pretty quiet life. She does a lot of advocacy for domestic violence victims. She has a 13-year-old daughter. She volunteers with the Girl Scouts and the volleyball, everything you would think a suburban mom, you know, would do. She has a very pretty quiet life. He um, went on to star in pornographic films. He got his penis surgically enlarged, and that was like a botched operation on camera. I don't... Uh, and then he went on to be arrested several more times for violence against women. Um, one of the most harrowing accounts is from one of his ex-girlfriends who said that he tied her to the bed in their apartment and for several days raped and tortured her. And he ended up being convicted and served jail time for this. And I talked to him. He denied all of these charges. But I think just when you look at the way the two of them have lived their lives sort of after the media mostly went away is, is a pretty stark reality of, of why she should have always been believed. Hmm. That's horrible to hear. You tweeted, Charlie Rose, Geraldo Rivera, Howard Stern, Al Franken. These are the men who told us what to think about the John and Loretta Bobbitt saga. Stories look different depending on who is telling them. Those are such wise words, and it's true. The third character in the story is us society, and obviously a big part of it is us, the media. Why do you think the media made Lorena the villain of this story? I guess sex yeah, I mean, is the big one. This, yeah, I mean, this is like, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's made me kind of reassess everything about, you know, the, our formative years and what we were told because the men who were telling these stories, I was watching, I watched a ton of archival news footage and read a ton of old clips and it was these men, Charlie Rose, Matt Lauer, Al Franken was, you know, doing a skit on Saturday Night Live about how Lorena needs to apologize to John's penis. Um, so Geraldo Rivera was really prominent, making a name for himself during the scandal, just really in her face. Um, he had, in one segment, he had John and his brothers on the show, and they said that they were going to find Lorena and kill her, and the crowd cheers. So it's just really... Um, you know, it just really underscores, I think, what the media is thinking a lot about and newsrooms are thinking about is, is like, who's telling the story? It's not just about, um, you know, this man got this job and he, he you know, either harassed someone or, you know, made other women feel uncomfortable thriving in those positions. It's like who in those positions actually impacts our entire culture and how we see the story and the prism through which we view these heroes and villains. Um, and so that was something that just really stood out to me in watching this documentary about Lorena and, and reading the old clips. Um, and I, I tweeted today because a lot of people think, oh, well, everyone knows that Howard Stern and Geraldo are jerks. But, you know, this was Gay Talese on assignment for The New Yorker writing that marital rape was essentially an oxymoron and that, you know, what about John's penis? Doesn't it have any rights? And women are allowed to get a headache every once in a while. Um, but, you know, rape was a ridiculous concept when you're married. And so, you know, I think we can't just dismiss it as sort of the people that we think are, are always kind of the provocateurs. These were the intelligentsia. These were the elite media as well. That's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, I'm like filled with rage right now. And I wish we could talk about this more in depth. But Amy, thank you so much for joining me and talking about Thanks this topic. Thanks for having topic. me. Good talking to you. Thanks. And be sure to read her piece. I tweeted it out right before I came on the show, and we're going to tweet it out again. Really take some time to read it today. It's very good. Up next, Isaac and Saeed are responding to a few more of your tweets. All right, welcome back. We asked you how your 2019 is going so far, just 31 days into the new year. Uh, you tweeted... Uh, I made, oh, this is Jen. I made it through 30 days of no drinking for January. Congratulations. And I've never done it before. Um, and I've made it through Minus's administration. Is that, is that, are I you talking Midas, about Trump? I think Midas. Minus is how you call Trump. That's funny. Um, my 2019 is off to a really positive start. Congratulations to you, Jen. I, people do keep coming up with funny nicknames for Trump. That is true. Just Absolutely. when I think I've seen them all. I like, I like the positivity, <laughs> though, you know? You, though. Good, on, you. good on for you making it. No, and now you can stop. Isn't that fun, too? <laughs> That's why I bang my head against the wall. Feels so good when I stop. Oh, my God. Jackie Blue tweeted, my love of Daniel Radcliffe has tripled in the last 10 minutes. What a charming young man. Absolutely delightful. Yeah, I gotta tell you, as soon as, and I, I wish I wish we could like, y'all could see more of the behind the scenes because it was like, mm -hmm. as soon as I finished my conversation with Roy Wood Jr., who of course is wonderful and great and so smart, like Daniel, I just look and Daniel Radcliffe is like, 
quickly in a British manner walking over to like shake his hand and I'm a big fan. Yeah, and, you know, it was absolutely him. wonderful. I love it. Okay. We also tweeted um, out about our contest to win a copy of Nathaniel Pyle's book, uh, 99 Stories I Could Tell, and we wanted to share some of the submissions. I tweeted mine just now. Uh, Diana, you said, uh, truth though, I have this image of tripping and falling out and not being able to stop. Ooh, Ooh yeah. I was really, really afraid of um, falling in high school, like fainting in yeah, front of people. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. And people Ooh. have been really responding to that. Yeah. I've seen all of your submissions on the timeline. Yep. It's really I'm cool. Keep doing it throughout. Also, a lot more positivity on the timeline, too. Joe Lee was also saying that his 2019 is off to a banger start. Shout so out good to on Joe you guys Shout out to you, Joe for Lee. having a good start to the it. year. Yeah. I also like the, the doodle thing as a prompt. I, if there's a way for us to do this more, I love it. Yeah. It was really fun. All we'll right. have Nathan Pyle back on the show. I'm in But it. thank you all for, for keeping the timeline lively this morning. And thank you to our guests, Caroline O'Donovan, Roy Wood Jr., Kate Nocera, Zoe Tillman, Daniel Radcliffe, Nathan Pyle, Stephanie McNeil, and Amy Chozik. What an incredible conversation. That was, if you haven't read that story yet, definitely go do it. Absolutely. So tomorrow, of course, is the beginning of February, which means it's the beginning of Black History Month. And every Friday in February, I'm so excited, we are going to do a special blackout edition of AM to DM. That means all black guests, all black stories, all black hosts. And so starting tomorrow, February 1st, I will be hosting with Sylvia Obell. Uh, you don't want to miss it. I am so excited that we're doing this. What a wonderful way to celebrate black history. All right, so bye. You made it to February. Get, enjoy your time. Later. I hope you had a hoot. Bye. Okay. They literally got me working more. <laughs> <laughs>